Hello, hello, my friends. Rob Orman here. Welcome back to the Stimulus Podcast. For those of you new to the show, what we do on Stimulus is break down ideas, strategies, and tactics to live and work with intent. My goal for each episode is to help you elevate. That could mean what you do at work or even what you do when you're not at work. That's up to you. Elevation. And if you are feeling stuck, burnt, or just kind of tangled up in some way in the pod, isn't getting you all the way there, you can reach out to me on the website, roborman.com. And let's see if one-on-one coaching might just be the trick. Just got back from Las Vegas. Am I going to say it? Can I resist the compulsion? No, I cannot. I just flew in from Las Vegas and boy, are my arms tired. Okay, there it is. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me. So in Vegas, Scott Weingart and I put on the Flameproof Shift Kickassery Workshop at the Essentials of Emergency Medicine Conference. It was fan-freaking-tastic. Oh, man, to all of you who were there, mm, thank you for the energy in the room. Scott and I, well, we brought the ingredients, but you guys brought the spice. And Scott and I both felt that the event so exceeded our expectations that there's going to be more live events in the future. So keep an ear out. And speaking of ears coming up in... I don't know what this has to do with ears, but it felt like a natural flow. Coming up in September 2023, Scott and I are launching the Flameproof course. This is a small cohort, six-month course specifically for emergency and acute care clinicians that will build and strengthen tools for career longevity, strategies for well-being, life balance, mm, so much more. I will put a link in the show notes to the website where you can learn more about it. And should you be interested, register now. On to the guest for the day, Dr. Christina Shenvey, MD, MBA, PhD. She has been on multiple episodes of Stimulus, and I learn so much from her every time we chat. And today, she's going to break down her approach to having a nearly perfect shift. Now, I say shift because that's what I know is emergency medicine shifts. You don't have to do shifts. It could be a nearly perfect day at work. But we're going to call it shift since that's the construct in which we operate. And she reached out and she said, hey, would you be interested in this topic? And I'm thinking, how on earth can you do that? How on earth can you have a nearly perfect shift? Because sometimes, as they say, you're the Louisville slugger and sometimes you're the ball. But no, no, Christina says, ye of little faith. There is a way and I'm going to tell you all about it. Let's get to it. How do you personally define a good versus a bad shift? There's there's probably similar elements for everybody. I mean, I have mine, you you have yours, but how does that play out in your mind? Like, oh, that was good. Oh, that was not so good. Yeah, man. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was walking into work for a night shift and I found myself thinking, oh, this is probably going to be a bad shift. I'd gotten called in, so I hadn't done my pre-nap ritual and prep and was kind of off my game. And that got me thinking, like, what does it take to be a good or bad shift? You know, and oftentimes we think about things like, oh, did I have patients who were nice or were the patients mean to me? Or were staff members nice or were they mean to me? Or was I able to make some sort of intervention? Did I get to do some cool procedures or some cool critical care? And I started thinking about it, and I realized there's like a tightrope you have to walk to have a good shift. It can't be too busy, but it can't be too quiet. can't have too many patients, but you don't want to have too few and be bored. 
And I realized that the way I was thinking about it was totally wrong. I was losing all my agency. You know, we've talked about agency a ton yeah. before, but I was just making it all about those external things. I think bad shift is when you feel just off center. You never have your rhythm. And I, I was speaking with my wife about this. What for you was a good or bad shift? She said, yeah, don't have a bunch of difficult patients or difficult <laughs> consultants, which is such a big thing, but you can't control that. You can't right. control if you're going to get slammed or, you know, you're... Con- your consultant is upset being awoken at 3 a.m., which, you know, I mean, you're never the bearer of good news when you're calling someone there. I found that my really good shifts had the common quality of feeling fully present the entire shift. And that inner sense of distraction that inner, like that inner sympathetic sense where, oh, I kind of, I need to do this and that, this and that. The more I had that, the less of a good shift it was. I used to think that it mattered how many people I was seeing or what the nature of them was, but it, it really didn't. And one thing I started doing that, I, I, it was almost by accident. I got called in to do a triage shift, like a, an RMT shift, which was super busy. And this is a place that wasn't set up for RMT. Like you actually did it in the waiting room that was kind of curtained off and it was weird. It's kind of like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought, okay. I'm going to kick ass at this like ass has never been kicked, number one. <laughs> and then, have you ever heard of Zen driving? No. Okay. What is that? So this, essentially, it is like a meditative driving. My usual routine, listen to podcasts, listen to medical podcasts, the way in to get in a medical mindset, still great. But this, so I, I didn't have time to kind of get myself ready or prepare. And I drove in this one day. And I thought, all right, I'm going to be fully aware and present of absolutely everything that is happening during this drive. I'm sitting down. I'm turning on the car. I am driving in. I'm stopping. You know, you get distracted and then you just come back to the act of driving. And I got to the hospital in such a centered and parasympathetic state that I was super focused the entire shift. I never got that fluttering brain and distraction and also taking defined breaks during the shift just to reset my mind. And then I started doing that regularly. It was incredible. That then became my routine. And then my shifts, no matter what, felt good. I mean, sometimes they <laughs> felt crappy and I had some you know, you know, hor- horrible cases and all this stuff. And sometimes you have such a malignant consultant that they break through all your barriers your, of self-defense. Your defenses are broken. <laughs> it's like, oh, the, <laughs> the wall has been breached. <laughs> The wall's been breached. Yes. Anyway, so I I digress. But for you, what is your good shift? How does a good shift play out? Well, I love that idea of presence, Rob, because if you make the criteria for a good shift be, I was really fully present in everything I did, then it's not dependent on how many patients you have or the quality of those patients or the quality of the consultants or the interactions you have. So I really try to think about that kind of in a similar way. The model that I use or the mental image that I have is of your circle of control. So what things can I control? And I want to bring my presence to those things. And really, the only things you can ever control are your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. And when I am fully in control of those things and I relinquish control of trying to control other things that I can't, 
then I'm able to be more fully present. And then I can have that agency, have that calm, not be frustrated about all these external things. So what would be an example of that? You know, kind of like applying that to a shift that could sway it to be a great or a not great one. Yeah, well, this comes up all the time when, for example, you can't get something done. So say you have that patient who lives in a nursing home who's there at 2 a.m. You're ready to send her home. The nursing home says, oh. okay, we'll be there at 8 in the morning. And you I, say... I'm getting, palp- I'm getting palpitations. <laughs> are you getting goosebumps? I know. Are we having flashbacks? <laughs> not, not, good, not good goosebumps. <laughs> not good goosebumps. Not good goosebumps. Bad goosebumps. Yeah, yeah so you, then you sit there, and what do you do from 2 a.m. till shift change at 7? You grumble, and you say... I can't believe this nursing home. Why can't they come pick up their patient? (laughs) Why is this my responsibility at 2 a.m. to hold this bed? I have other people I need to see. And what we're doing when we're doing that is we're banging our head against reality. We can't change that circumstance. No banging of our heads will change that circumstance. And yet mentally, we, we try to control it by perseverating, by continuing to grumble about it. Whereas if we can say, okay... That is outside my control. There is no longer any effort that I can put in that will change that circumstance. So instead, I'm going to focus on my own thoughts. My thoughts are going to be, despite having this bed tied up, I will maintain presence or I will continue to do the best I can with the resources that I have. I think one exercise that really helps with that particular thing is mindfulness meditation because you are present, as you and I have discussed probably on every podcast we've ever <laughs> recorded, this is the epitome of the space between stimulus and response. Yes. I don't think it's actually possible to not feel frustration about that call. You, you, know, you need that bed. You've got all these patients in the waiting room who, who need that. And you also don't want to have that being an energy suck thinking about that patient and they're going to have needs, et cetera. You are going to feel frustrated. And- Going through the practice before a shift of developing awareness of what frustration feels like, what your emotions feel like. Okay, I am feeling frustration now. I'm aware of that. I know I have a certain tension in my shoulders. I can feel that. I can feel like a little bit of acid in my solar plexus area. (laughs) And just having the pause and the presence to say, all right. I have a choice of how I'm going to act on this. I feel this. And it's not suppression, you know, with the Seinfeld episode. I don't know if you ever saw this where George Costanza got into this thing, serenity now, serenity Serenity now. now. And it turned out that they were just bottling up their feelings. They would have (laughs) these explosive outrages and lash out. But no, this is just, okay, I'm aware that I'm feeling this way. And how am I going to choose to, to do this? I mean, actually just yesterday, I was asked to do something that, is such anathema to me, my internal gasket that surrounded my chest about to blow. (laughs) I then sat down and I typed out this email to the people whose choice it had been. And it was like, like, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. (laughs) I thought, don't send that. Wait a day. Always smart. So smart. I used to not wait a day. I'd like to think, I just have complete serenity at all times. No. Totally not. I don't think anybody does. And then I was like, all right, I have the choice of what to do here. I'm typing out my feelings in this email and so tempting to press send. Don't send. Leave it be. And then 
the people who were involved then actually just emailed me and said, oh, hey, I heard you weren't too into this. Like, let's see how we can work around it. Like, oh, yeah, great. You know, you guys are awesome, blah, blah, blah. That choice where I had previously sent those emails had been an immediate reaction. Yeah. And, you know, you did a great job there of modeling how you can increase the space from stimulus and response. Another way to think about this is, you know, you're going to get over this. That issue of the thing that you couldn't get done at 2 a.m., two days from now, you'll have kind of forgotten it. I mean, you'll remember it if someone reminds you, but you won't be thinking about it. So the goal is how can you get over it faster so that you can get over it in the moment, in real time, so that it's not bothering you anymore. And that's where the trick is to kind of bring that presence back. And, you know, in thinking about this, like, why do we get frustrated? Well, we get frustrated for actually good reasons because we want the best thing for that patient. We get frustrated not just because we're jerks. <laughs> we get frustrated because we want to be able to do the right thing. But also sometimes it comes out of not wanting to feel powerless. And we exactly. get frustrated yes. because we want to control these things and yet we feel powerless. And what's so ironic about thinking about that circle of control is that we try to control things we can't. And we relinquish control of things that we can. So we bang our heads against reality trying to change things we can't. And yet we give away control of our own emotions or our own thoughts. And we allow other people to unduly influence them. Now, you know, I can't go too long talking with you, Rob, without throwing some stoic quotes in there. So I've got one of my favorites here, which is from Epictetus. And he wrote, happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. Some things are within our control and some things are not. It is only after you have faced up to this fundamental rule and learned to distinguish between what you can and can't control that inner tranquility and outer effectiveness become possible. And man, as ER doctors, do we need some inner tranquility and outer effectiveness, right? Like, (laughs) what makes a good shift? Hey, inner tranquility and outer effectiveness. But what we have to do and what's difficult is we don't like facing up to that fundamental fact that some things are inside our control and some things are outside our control. When you said the frustration really happens when you feel powerless and wow, that when you said that, it really struck me as speaking the truth, sister, because you feel like you are the decision maker. And then you speak to, you know, someone at a nursing home. Look, I have all of these things going in. You sent me this patient. I'm sending them back. I'm helping you out. And they say, nah, I can't take them back. Right. I hate to say that that's part of the mental construct, but I think that that is one of the things that goes through your mind. And at that moment, you feel like, They have power over what is happening to me right now, and it is just shaking me in the worst Mm -hmm. possible way to my core. That's not the conscious dialogue. That's a subconscious dialogue. So when that happens to you, let's just use that specific example. How in your mind do you shift? I'm going to throw it back at you, Rob, and I'm going to quote some Aurelius at you and ask you, What is so unbearable about this situation? Why can't you endure it? You will be embarrassed to answer. Because my expectation is that that is not the way it should go. Yes, you have hit the nail on the head. And the word that you said that brings all of this into light is the word should. It should should. be this way. It shouldn't be that way. It's like the worst word in the English language. Yes. And when we do that, what we're saying is, I want to bend reality 
to my will. It's painful because I can't. And when we can't bend reality to our will, then we get frustrated, we feel powerless, we feel annoyed. And instead saying, whatever I think life should or shouldn't be, it is the way that it is. And I can either accept that and move on, or I can continue to try to bend it and waste all my energy. You're working in the emergency department. It's 2 a.m. You got 50 people in the waiting room and a couple amps coming in and you know you have a nursing home patient with dementia who is not communicative, requiring a lot of nursing staff and the workup is done. They fell, they hit their head, the CAT scan is negative, they're ready to go back. They have no more needs from you. And they say, well, we can't take them back till seven because our staff doesn't come in. And you know that they're going to require a lot of nursing care. They're going to require your attention. From your years of experience and the accumulation of small bits of PTSD from having to deal with this thousands of times at 2 a.m., you think, mm, well, I'm not loving the situation. And now I am powerless to tell the nursing home to take them back because I can't force them to do it. What is your inner dialogue at that point for you to go full stoic rather than <laughs> full volcano. <laughs> I love that. And man, you know, this is such a work in progress. I do this well some days and I do it not so well other <laughs> days. But to be full on stoic, I would say would be to say, this is reality. I can't change this. The only thing getting in my way is my desire not to feel powerless. So if I can overcome that, then I can accept this situation. The Stoics definitely had a Vulcan aspect to them where it's like, look, oh, totally. if you let, you, you let your emotions get the better of you, then you're already losing. Yeah. And there's other things you can do. I mean, there's lots of techniques. You can, for example, zoom out. Okay. In the grand scheme of things, life, the universe, and everything, the entire course of the galaxy and time itself, this is not that big a deal and I can handle this. Or you can kind of zoom in and say, all right, what do I need to do in this immediate next moment? What is the immediate next step? In the, in the immortal words of the songs from Frozen 2, do the next right thing. That's all I can do is take the next step. I'm going to jump in here for just a moment and let you know about a few free resources on the RobOrman.com website. We have the quick and dirty guide to calling consults and my four favorite documentation templates. You can go to RobOrman.com and click the header where it says freebies. And you will find yourself in the land of milk and honey. Well, you actually won't, but you'll find those two documents. So it's pretty close to land of milk and honey. Back to the show. All right. So to have a nearly perfect shift or even like day at work, because, you know, there are a lot of non-physicians who listen to this show. There will always be situations like this. Someone on the other end of that phone or the other end of that interaction doing something that you don't want. Now, Grant, this isn't saying like lay down and take it. No. You do everything within your power, yeah. but realize that there are some things that are just not and move on. So yeah, this is, this is applicable. I don't know of a single line of work where this is not oh, applicable. Absolutely. And I love that idea of do what's in your power, but you're not omnipotent. So your power is going to run up against barriers. And at that point, that is where you manage you have to manage your mind. Being not omnipotent. Such a bummer, it, right? Isn't it the worst? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, sometimes you just wish, oh, if only I were the great and powerful Oz. <laughs> okay. So next you say, even out your standard deviation and raise your mean. What does that mean? 
I don't know if you've noticed, Rob, we know each other pretty well by now, but I'm a little bit of a nerd. And so I think of things in terms of graphs and very quantitatively. So imagine you drew a graph of each of your shifts and you plotted on the vertical axis how good it was, maybe on a scale of one to 10 or whatever scale you want, logarithmic, exponential, it's fine, it's all good. And you plotted out your shift, you would have some variation day to day, maybe some that are really bad, maybe some that are great, but it would kind of average out to an even line. And there would be some variation. So that's your standard deviation. How much day to day do your shifts vary? So when I was thinking about this and thinking about how can I make my shifts better, because that's the goal. I want to feel better. I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to be more present. By definition, always 50% of my shifts are going to be below average. But the question then is, where is your average? So you're going to have shifts that are below average, but what can you do to raise your mean? And then also, what can you do to even out your standard deviation, meaning less variability shift to shift, so that you don't walk in thinking, is today going to be great? Is today going to be terrible? But having more control so that you have less variability. You kind of know what you're getting into for the most part, because you're the one bringing it. How does that work as far as executing it? I think of this kind of as a before, during, and after. So before the shift, acknowledging that whether I have a good shift or not is entirely up to me. Nothing external. So I'm going to face frustrations, and I'm going to face people who are not helpful, or I'm going to face situations that are difficult, and I just need to plan for that. Oh, gosh, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is create what's called implementation intentions. This has been really well studied in the literature, and it's the idea of pre-planning for whatever obstacles you think you're going to find. So let's say my goal is to have a good shift. One of the obstacles is I'm going to feel frustrated when I can't get something done. Then I pre-plan with a when-then statement. And this has been studied in all sorts of things from getting people to go out and vote, weight loss, time management, study skills, all sorts of different arenas. And it's very successful. So you anticipate what are the inner obstacles that I'm going to encounter. So not outer obstacles, not like other people, not coronavirus, not your department, not the nursing facility staff, but what inner obstacles are you going to encounter and then create a when-then statement. So when I feel frustrated about X, then I will do Y. Or when I feel myself spiraling out of control and getting crazy busy, then I will do such and such. Or when I feel this problem, then I will do such and such. So pre-planning. And it could be things like you've mentioned. When I feel myself getting frustrated, then I will remind myself to be present. When I feel myself getting annoyed, then I will draw a circle and put what is in my control in that circle. So those kinds of easy things are things that you can pre-plan for and then start to create as a habit during your day. And then afterwards, when you look back and you say, was that a good or bad shift? Owning that. If that was a bad shift, that's on me. If that was a good shift, great. Maybe that was on me too. Maybe it was on other people. But Taking ownership of that rather than saying, oh, this was a bad shift because of that person, or this was a bad day at work because of that external circumstance. Let me walk you through a few things outside of my personal control that really affected me negatively. And like, how, how could, how could I develop that? What what did you call it? It's like called implementation intentions. And the process is called mental contrasting with implementation intentions. And we can put a link to it, but 
Gabrielle Oettingen is the researcher who's done a ton of work on this, and she's written lots of papers and a book. Really great. So essentially, you're setting up your own if-then. Exactly. Okay. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to talk about two things that are sort of related. Number one, busy day, and then I would look at the waiting room and see that it had just filled up with a ton of people. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so overwhelming. And I would feel stress and anxiety and a sense of dread at the overwhelm and then the the charts that I was going to have to do and just so much task management and task switches. Like this is definitely a bit of an albatross and was consistently over two decades a real challenge. Well, let's apply this procedure of creating an implementation intention. So your goal is to feel calm or to feel in control or to not get anxious or upset. So that's the goal that we have. And the reality is- And this was the only thing in the ED that would- Really that would get, get you. Me. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, this is such a kicker. And, you know, for different fields, different jobs, it might be something else, but we all have it. We all have that thing that's like, oh, we just feel it in the pit of our stomachs. <laughs> so let's look at that situation. So we have mental contrasting. We look at our goal. We want to feel calm, collected, managed, present. And the reality is we feel frustrated, angry, overwhelmed, etc. So then we create an implementation intention. When This happens when the waiting room fills up and I start to feel that. Then I will do what? Yes. Awkward silence. (laughs) Okay. So here's some things. Here's some ideas. (laughs) (laughs) So then I will remind myself that I can take care of the most emergent needs. When I start to feel overwhelmed, then I will remind myself that triage exists for a reason And I can take care of what really needs to be taken care of in this moment. When I start to feel overwhelmed, then I will remind myself that I can work hard and I can get things done. When I start to feel overwhelmed, then I will remind myself that my shift ends in three hours and I'm going to make it. When I start to feel overwhelmed and everything backs up, I will remind myself that I can do everything I can with the resources that I have. So kind of just reminding yourself of that. You know, it's really all about the positive self-talk. I I saw a great quote the other day from someone named Lisa Hayes. I don't know who she is, but it was tweeted out and I just loved it. She said, be careful how you are talking to yourself because you are listening. So if you're talking to yourself saying, this is going to suck, I'm going to hate this, the rest of the shift's going to be awful, then I'm going to have to go home and chart all day, then you're listening. You're telling yourself that and you're listening. Whereas if you say some of these other things, then you also listen. And that it's not going to be perfect. We're not going to love it every minute, but we can at least take the edge off of that overwhelm and frustration. You said something in there that I'm just going to keep in my back pocket because I I just love that. I can work hard and get things done. That particular self-talk, as I think back to the mass casualties that I was involved in, or when the ED was overwhelmed, there was never a situation where a patient didn't get taken care of, a never situation where... I mean, sometimes that's like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm kind of working at the edge here. When I couldn't ramp it up, it's like, all right, I need to change my gear here and really go for it, that I can work hard and get things done. The flow of what I'm going to do is a little bit different. Have you seen the ESPN documentary, Be Water, on the life of Bruce Lee? No. It's beautiful. Growing up in the martial arts, Bruce Lee, a little bit of a hero, but I never really knew 
so much of his inner thoughts is he was really frustrated when he just like couldn't figure out the philosophy of the martial arts. And he was sitting on a dock, I think, or sitting, sitting on a lake and he takes his fist and he, bam, he punches it into the water. Wow. That's the secret. The water doesn't resist and forms around the shape of my fist. And if I put this water in a cup, it becomes the cup. If I put this water in a bowl, it becomes the bowl. But water can get into any crack. Water can overcome any obstacle. So in whatever situation, be water. Be flexible and responsive and form your response to what's happening. For martial arts aficionados, he's developed this style called Jeet Kune Do, which is way of the intercepting fist. I'm going to come to you with whatever you're bringing and I will be water and I will intercept. And it's going to be different every time. And I think we have this idea. And I personally had this idea of how the emergency department works is going to fit my model of how mm -hmm. I'm going mm -hmm. to work all the time. Whereas really the answer is be water. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Because yes, then you can be anything. Then you don't have to try to bend reality to your will because you can be flexible and become whatever the reality needs. Here's a cool way to kind of flip it upside down. Let's look at the outcome we don't want. So the outcome we don't want is we end up flustered, not present, you know, running around like chickens with our heads cut off, not really being effective, patients having bad outcomes because we're not managing the department well, right? Like that's what we fear. That's the outcome we don't want. Now think about this. What are the barriers to that outcome happening for you? Why is that not going to happen? That's not going to happen because I'm going to get it done. Undergirding my actions during every shift is years of training and continual training, maintenance, and improvement. So the reality is that the skill level could not be higher or sharper. Yeah. Dang. Oh, I Ooh, like that. Doesn't that feel good? <laughs> so the great. thing that we're worried about is that everything's going to, you know, go to hell in a handbasket and we're going to yeah. lose control of our department. But that's not going to happen because, as you said, you're well-trained. You know what you're doing. It's not going to happen because... I can work hard and run around on roller skates if I need to, to make sure that I can do everything. It's not going to happen because I'm going to maintain my calm and sense of presence, even if we're running a code and I'm going to make sure that my team clearly communicates. So, and, I've got, and I've got a team. And, and I've, I've got, got a got team, a, right? Yeah. Exactly. This is not going to happen because I have a team whom we're going to work together and get this done. So it's just kind of a neat way to think about what am I actually afraid of and what are the barriers to that happening? I love all of this just exists in your own mind. There's no tech or hack you need to buy. Yeah, we're not, we're not selling an app. <laughs> it's just all right. in your head. You actually list that as another specific step. Change your own mind. Yes, exactly. This is really the crux that everything else depends on. And you quoted Viktor Frankl earlier, but one of the other quotes that he has that I just love from his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is... When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So when we're in those situations of feeling powerless, I can't change this external circumstance. The only thing I can do is change myself. And of course, that's the main thing that we must do. So the way that we do that is all the things we've been talking about. 
be creating space between stimulus and response, becoming aware of our thoughts, creating cognitive distance between ourself and our thoughts by looking at our thoughts and saying, okay, that's a thought. That thought of everything's going to go to crap and everything's crazy right now, that's just a thought. That's not reality. I can create a new thought, which will create my new reality. And, you know, one of the things that I've really been thinking about a lot, Marcus Aurelius, one of his famous quotes is, the obstacle is the way, or that's how it's paraphrased. But really, can I share this for you? This is so good. I want to share the whole quote. Do you ever read things and you're like, oh, I just got goosebumps, like good goosebumps. It's so good (laughs) all the time. So... He says, our actions may be impeded, but there can be no impeding our intentions or dispositions because we can accommodate and adapt so we can change. And he says, the mind adapts and converts to its own purposes, the obstacle to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And what that means is that these things that we perceive as obstacles are actually what propel us to become better. So if everything worked perfectly in the department, if life and reality just ran exactly as I wanted them to, I would never have to do the hard work of changing things, of managing my mind, of changing myself. It's only because of those difficulties that then I am challenged when I can't change the situation to change myself for the better. We're talking about Marcus Aurelius and thinking about these challenges. We may have talked this, about this on like the million other podcasts that, we, <laughs> that we've recorded, but I think maybe my favorite story that involves him is when one of his generals assumed the emperorship for himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he got the message and his soldiers and his advisors are like, oh, we're going to go and we're going to lay waste to that guy. And he said, hang on. Hang on, we are going to go talk to him and we're going to bring the full force of our army, but he might actually be a better emperor than me. So let's go and see what he's all about. Now, in his mind, he might be thinking, I'm just going to go lay waste this guy. <laughs> but, waste. but that approach of, let me be circumspect about what's happening right now. And instead of just reacting and thinking my own self-interest is the only thing that's that's important here is what's important on the big picture? And how can I look at this from every possible angle? And maybe this guy being the emperor is actually better for Rome. Maybe me not being emperor is better for Rome. Granted, in the end, he maintained being the emperor of Rome. But I thought that that and his troops were really surprised. They're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? We're not going to just go and, and lay waste to him. He said, look, let's just take the possibility. It's almost like Sherlock Holmes or Spock or somebody who's like hyperlogical. Let's just take the possibility that you know, maybe he's right. Maybe he will be a better leader. I mean, you don't see that sort of enlightened leadership these days, or perhaps Mm, most times throughout history. That's the kind of guy that the quote you just gave is coming from, that I am beset by so many difficulties, including people want to kill me, including people want to take (laughs) me. Let's take all of these in stride and see how they play out and see what we can control and what we cannot. Exactly. And, you know, nobody's really trying to kill me, I don't have, you know, actual battles to fight. The only problem is really I just can't get things done the way that I want to. So in the grand scheme of things, honestly, it's not that bad. You were mentioning before the drawing back, seeing it from 30,000 feet or 60,000 feet. I found that to be a very effective exercise when I'm getting really worked up about something and, you know, looking at it from a very distant perspective. I mean, like kind of the visualization of being in an airplane helps. You look down on the earth 
you can't see people, you can't see cars, you just see broad strokes and you think, wow, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things right there. But even from here, not so small, that significant. And then boy, and then you listen to Carl Sagan's pale blue dot, like, wait, we're just, we're just a pixel. And the entire course of human history, when looked at from space, happens in little corners of that pixel, it really puts things in perspective and thinks, all right, don't sweat the small stuff and pretty much, you know, everything. It's all small stuff. It's all small <laughs> stuff. And yeah. it, doesn't feel, it doesn't feel it in and the time, especially, yeah. Yeah, and we definitely don't want to minimize there are real suffering and there is real tragedy. But a lot of the time in our day-to-day lives, what is eating us up is the little things. Voltaire wrote, life is thickly sown with thorns, and I know no other remedy than to pass quickly through them. The longer we dwell on our misfortunes, the greater is their power to harm us. So I think about that of like, am I just in a thorn bush? And instead of just passing through it, I'm flailing my little fists at this thorn bush, and all I'm doing is getting cut up in the meantime. Instead, if I can learn to pass through the thorn bush quickly, then I'll actually free myself rather than keeping trying to fight it. On that note, <laughs> I think it's time to wrap it up. As always, Dr. Shenvi, awesome, educational, and transformative. Dr. Orman, thank you so much. And that is it for today. For complete show notes of this episode, sign up for our newsletter or even schedule a free coaching discovery call with me to see if one-on-one coaching may be something to help you elevate. You can find all of that at our website, robormon.com. And until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.